Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 13 again. And we'll move forward in this chapter to another lesson that the Lord has for us. Three lessons in the 13th chapter. Submission to civil government, love of your neighbor, and holy living in light of eternity. Romans 13, beginning at verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has brought the light into the world that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, we thank Thee for the light of the gospel and the gospel day in which we live and the hope of His coming, which is so soon compared to our beloved brother Paul. Bless us now with these verses to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, to put Him on, to cast off the works of darkness, and to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And that. Romans 13 and verse 11. And that. There's three lessons in this 13th chapter. And I want you to see that because it helps me to break down some of these sections of Scripture into the different lessons the Lord has for us. You can see clearly that verses 1 through 7 are for civil government. Verses 8 through 10 are loving your neighbor. And verses 11 through 14 are going to describe us living holy lives for Him. Remember again that chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 had a holy mandate for our living. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and so forth. And this is how we do it. This is one more lesson in how we live the mandate that the Apostle Paul gave us. And that, third lesson in the chapter, knowing the time. Knowing the time. Now the Apostle would tell us, in various places, that the Lord Jesus Christ was not coming imminently. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he tells us that the coming of Jesus Christ was not at hand. But there was some time that these Roman saints should know. And this time is described as a night ending and a day beginning. That means it's described like a sunrise. It does mention that there is a salvation nearer than when we believed. It tells us to cast off the works of darkness as if there's some darkness that we were once in that we were no longer in and to put on the armor of light because we must be part of some light that now exists there in the 12th verse. And uh, yes, the 12th verse. And so we see a night and a day in this metaphorical usage of light versus darkness, day versus night, the one ending, another beginning. And it says, knowing the time. And that knowing the time. The time 
here is a reference to the gospel times of the dispensation of Jesus Christ. There are three dispensations taught in the Bible. We do not believe in seven dispensations like the dispensationalists. We don't believe that there was a different method of salvation in any of those dispensations. But that there are three. From Adam to Moses was 2,500 years. From Moses to Christ was 1,500 years. And we are now 2,000 years into the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that knowing the time. And this is the time that the apostle is writing to the Romans in around 50 A.D that there was a profound change taking place in the world and that they were part of this big change. That knowing the time, and it goes on to describe that time as a night ending, a day beginning, and they're in the transitional generation of the apostles in which the world was being turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus had come on the scene in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. The time is fulfilled... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That kingdom of heaven is not the eternal phase of the kingdom of heaven when we will be with the Lord forever, but it was the preaching of the gospel that was at hand. And during that transitional period of 40 years, beginning with John, then with Jesus, then with the other apostles, the gospel began in Jerusalem, went to Judea, went to Samaria, went to the uttermost parts of the earth, including the capital of the pagan Roman Empire, Rome itself, And he's writing, believers in the city of Rome, the capital of the pagan empire, the Roman Empire. We want to look at the context of this verse when it says, knowing the time, and that there's sleep involved, we need to be awake, there's night that is far spent, a day is right about to begin, and we're to get rid of the works of darkness, we're to put on light, and all these expressions find their greatest cross-reference in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 through 10, which you read last evening, I hope. Let's go read it right now, just to help you out, that the apostle is describing a day that the Thessalonians were in, while at the same time referring to a coming of the Lord that had not yet occurred. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The night being far spent and the day at hand, as verse 12 describes it, is the new gospel dispensation. Dispensation simply means how God is dealing with men. There was the time when he dealt with men through the patriarchs, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then there was the dispensation of the law in which he dealt with his nation of Israel, the church, for 1,500 years with a code of laws that were brought down from Mount Sinai. Then there's the gospel dispensation, and we're in it, and we've been in it, and the Bible very plainly describes the gospel dispensation as the last days and the last times because there isn't another dispensation. We've received the kingdom of God that cannot be changed and cannot be moved. This is it, except we're going to be transferred into owning the heavens and the earth and inhabiting them with the Lord after the wicked are cast into hell. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you know what chapter 4 is about, verses 13 through 18. It's about the second coming of Jesus Christ. In light of that, the apostle writes in the first two verses that they don't have any need for him to write to them about when it's going to happen because it's going to come as a thief in the night. But I want to be, and it's going to, when they're, when they're saying, when the world's saying peace and safety, you know the Lord's going to come upon them and they're going to be caught. But I want to begin at verse 4. 
But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. Your darkness in the Bible is ignorance of God. Darkness in the Bible is ignorance of righteousness. You are not in ignorance of God and of righteousness. That that day should overtake you as a thief. You're not going to get caught living like a thief because you, you're going to be found by the Lord Jesus Christ living the righteous life of a righteous man, not of a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. There's a difference in the world. There are people that are dark and live in darkness. There are people that are in the light and they live in that light. There are the wicked and the righteous. And once you're saved and the Thessalonians were saved, they were different than the rest of the citizens of Thessalonica because they were in the light. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ had shined unto them and they had believed it. It was preached unto the Gentiles. It was believed unto the world. And some of those that believed were Thessalonians. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Verse 5. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, because of that difference, that God's made a difference in our lives, therefore, let us not sleep. This is such a cross-reference. I love the Bible when it's a commentary on the Bible. And we have this passage talking about the very same things. Therefore, let us not sleep. Since God has called us out of the darkness of the Gentiles and out of the darkness of this world to be the children of light, let's not just sleep on that. Let's not just rest in that. Let's be diligent and sober and vigilant to live for Him. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. They're all in a state of sleep, not thinking about the fact that there's judgment coming and they're going to meet the Lord. But let us watch and be sober. And how many times the Lord Jesus Christ referred to watching? Can you watch with me and pray with me for an hour to his disciples? In Matthew chapter 24, as that chapter ends, the importance of watching, the importance of being five virgins that have oil in our vessels rather than five that don't have it when the bridegroom comes. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, thats a, here's the contrast, but let us who are of the day be sober, not drunk, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, making ready for a war, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And we're going to have the armor of light in Romans chapter 13. This is a wonderful cross-reference. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Because Jesus is coming back. So there's these different things taking place. And I'm not going into the five phases of salvation, because that's really not taught here. The gospel went out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, including Thessalonica in Greece and Rome in Italy. The gospel went forth. God's elect in those places believed the gospel and they were converted and became the children of light by their confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shined into their lives and changed their lives. They were no more part of the darkness. They were no more part of the night. They were part of the day and they were children of light. And there's an event coming for them in which the Lord Jesus Christ has appointed to them a the final phase of salvation. Remember, this is after the cross. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ for their deliverance, and it's all taught there in 1 Thessalonians 5, just like it is back here in Romans 13. Let's go back to Romans 13. There are so many verses that could be shared with you, and I hope that I can pick the ones that will bless you the most. The night that is being, that is far spent, 
And the day that is, that is at hand is the gospel dispensation. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the light of the world. The Gentiles were in such darkness, it is hardly a, we are hardly able to comprehend how dark and ignorant our fathers were in the flesh. The things they worshipped, they had no use, no understanding, no searching for the God of heaven. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter describes the terrible darkness, wickedness that our fathers were in. But the, the light of the gospel came shining, and the gates of hell could not prevent the preaching of the gospel even among the Gentiles. And it's a wonderful period of time. Look at Acts chapter 17. It was a 40-year transitional period. Two covenants were running side by side, but the gospel was going out to the Gentiles. And it didn't begin until around Acts chapter 9 and 10 when Cornelius is converted, just as the Lord had promised. Acts chapter 17, Paul's on Mars Hill, and he's explaining to the Greek philosophers this. He, he points out to them how superstitious they are, and they do not understand the, the true God of heaven that created them. And he comes to verse 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at. There's the night. There's the darkness of the Gentiles. The times of this, knowing the time. That's what we're trying to answer from Romans 13, 11. Knowing the time. Well, there was a, there was a time when God winked at the ignorance of Gentiles, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Was there anyone in Asia that did not hear the word of God from the mouth of Paul? He said there was no one in Asia, not the Asia that you know, but the Asia of the Roman Empire what we would call Greece and Turkey and Asia Minor, a province of the Roman Empire. The times of this ignorance God winked at in the past, but now see, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. There is this future event coming, of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ will judge the quick and the dead, when He will judge all men. But there is already something that has happened since John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, and that is the gospel has been preached that has gone into the dark world of men that worship dogs, worship insects, worship the sun, worship the moon, worship totem poles, and never knew about Jehovah. But now they do. And it's called the gospel day in the Bible. It's called the light. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. The Lord Jesus Christ would get up in the synagogue. We'll look at that in a moment. In the synagogue at uh, Nazareth and preach the same message. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, as Peter explains this to some Jews, that they should no longer live like Gentiles because there's a new day. 1 Peter chapter 4, for as much then, verse 1, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Arm yourselves. We're in, we're in warfare. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. The change that takes place with conversion where you change from living in the flesh to living in the Spirit, where you change from keeping the lust of your flesh and the lust of men to doing the will of God. 
for the time past, knowing the time, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. The Gentiles as a whole group of people lived a very dissolute, ungodly, wicked, lustful lifestyle. When we walked in lasciviousness, and these words are so comparable to Romans 13 and verse 13, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. These passages of Scripture are showing a great change taking place in the world where the Gentiles had been known only for this. The Gentiles only lived that kind of way that we just described in 1 Peter chapter 4, but now there's a change taking place. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles said, the men have come hither that have turned the world upside down. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I do not want to spend too much time, but I sure want you to appreciate the fact that you live in the gospel dispensation of the world. Why in the world, when we in, in 1 Timothy 3.16, when it's talking about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, received up into glory, when we think about those four things, oh yeah, God becoming flesh, Jesus going to heaven, seen of angels and all the angelic activity in the world, justified in the Spirit, the Spirit of God like a dove descending down upon Him and all of His miracles and raising Him from the dead. And we say, yes, 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 to those four, I fully understand why they are in the list. Do you understand why the other two are in the list? Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. It is a stupendous change. And we're required to think about it again, and I am not ashamed to think about 1 Timothy 3.16 again to properly understand Romans 13. Knowing the time. What time? The gospel's being preached. The Gentiles believed in the world so that they are being, they're coming out of the night of their darkness into the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where the apostle is addressing another Gentile church. Verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, this is a quotation from Isaiah, and there's so many quotations in Isaiah about this great change. I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Knowing the time. What time? This time. What day? This day. What sunrise? The rise of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Arise, shine, thy light is come, and the Gentiles shall come to thy brightness. If you would read Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, you're going to read some fantastic statements about the dromedaries and the camel riders and the herdsmen of all these different nations around Israel coming to them, bringing their their riches, falling down and worshiping the Jews and being thankful for something. What is it? When did it happen in the history of the world? 
Did the Ephesians go out from their city all the way to the seashore and stand on the seashore, the elders of the church at Ephesus, and weep on the neck of a Jew? What were they weeping on the neck of a Jew for? Because he had preached to them the gospel. The world was being turned upside down. And that, knowing the time, we're 2,000 years removed, but do you know the conviction I have? (laughs) Trying to explain to you, the Apostle Paul is trying to explain this in 50 A.D., and we're living in 2013 A.D. We are so deep into that new day. It was still transitional for Paul. He would say the night is far spent. It wasn't over yet, because the gospel had not burst on the full scene of the Gentiles yet. But we're deep into that day. And if Paul could say that now is our salvation referring to the second coming of Christ being nearer than when we believed, how close is it for us? Oh, if, the, if somebody would say to me, well, the way you're preaching, Romans 13, 11 through 14, mainly applies to them in the transitional generation. It should first of all be read that way, but it applies more to us than it ever applied to them because the second coming of Christ is so much closer and we are already in to the full new gospel day. I love 2 Corinthians 6, 1-10. through This is fulfilling a prophecy from the same prophet that described over and over, Thy light is come, and the rising, and the new day, and the sunrise about the gospel. Look at these words. Behold, at the end of verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What day of salvation? Jesus had already died, so it's not the legal phase. Jesus hadn't come yet. It's not the final phase. What phase? The practical phase of the gospel going forth like it had never gone forth before. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Oh, I hope that you can see it and understand it so that these words I'm supposed to read in the book and the law of God distinctly and give the sense. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. What does that mean? Isn't every day called today? If I'm living on Sunday and I'm exhorting you, isn't it called today? If tomorrow I exhort you on Monday, is it called today? Does this today mean something a little different? Yes. It's the gospel day. Today. There's a new rest being offered to these Jews. They once were offered the rest of the seventh day. They were once offered the rest of the land of Canaan. But now there's a new rest being offered to them. And therefore, in verse 1, let us therefore, of chapter 4, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's the today. That's the day of salvation. That's the time of salvation. And that, knowing the time. Romans thirteen eleven. Where else can I turn you? Uh, out of... 40 verses, where should I direct you? Look at, uh, go to Isaiah 60. I want you to rejoice with me. I can't, I can't preach Isaiah 60, 61, and 62 to you, and I don't want to get in trouble here with my time. I just love these verses and the huge change. This is all prophetic from Isaiah of what is going to take place. 
I've already read this to you and I've, re- I've referred to it several times, but look at the words, Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and His glory shall be seen upon thee. Jews and Gentiles converted from the lascivious lifestyle of the Gentile nations. The Jews love to copy the Gentiles like 1 Peter chapter 4 describes. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. The Jews are going to get the light first and the Gentiles are going to come to it. And the kings and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Notice this rising of light, this new day, this sunrise, a a night ending, a day beginning. And you can go all the way down through this. Verse 11, Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. And it just goes on and on describing it. What is this? Is this the city of Jerusalem that's going to open their gates to the Roman armies? Or is this the church, the Jerusalem which is above, the mother of us all, being blessed by God? Yes, it's B, not A, in the question that I just asked you. Look at chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. When was that fulfilled? Luke 4, verses 17 through 21, when Jesus read this passage in the synagogue at Nazareth, sat down, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your midst. But notice what it says. I stopped at verse 1. What else did Jesus say? How far did he read? He read into verse 2 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. See? And that, knowing the time. What time? The acceptable year of the Lord. The day of salvation. And the day of salvation wasn't a 24-hour day. It was just the time of salvation. It's called today. Romans 13. Right, 62 has, Isaiah 62 has more to say on it. Isaiah 49, Isaiah 9. There's just so many prophecies here and it will be in the outline. I want to get back to Romans 13 lest you lose sight of the forest because we're looking too closely at the trees. And that, knowing the time, the apostle, I love our brother and I love the Holy Spirit. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You know, there's there's church ministries and church gifts in chapter 12. There's brotherly love. There's no vengeance. We come to chapter 13. Submission to civil authority. That's way over here. It's a big category. We spend a lot of time on it. Neighborly love. Holy living. And that, knowing the time of Romans 13, 11 that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Just like Paul wrote the Thessalonians, it is high time to awake out of sleep because that night of superstition and darkness and ignorance about God for Romans, for Thessalonians, for Athenians, is ending. We're in a transition while more and more gospel preachers are taking the gospel to the Gentiles to the uttermost parts of the earth knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. 
There is no reason for you to be converted, you Roman saints, and to be taking it easy because God is changing things drastically. And you should be awake and you should be vigilant and you should be sober like those people who function in the day. Do you know that there's a whole segment of society that functions at night? They sleep during the day because they're drunk and they're drunk at night and they're playing at night and they're carousing at night. And our religion is not like that. And the Romans were like that. The Romans were carousers. The Romans were, were addicted to entertainment. And the apostle is saying, we're not of that darkness. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. That transition from total darkness being gone with the gospel going everywhere that God intended for it to go was happening right then. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. We are in the last days. We are in the gospel dispensation. And the next big event on the horizon is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has arranged for us to be born in this third dispensation. He has arranged for, uh, He has elected us and He has arranged for us to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These Roman believers were hearing the gospel And if they had been converted five years earlier, or two years earlier, or ten years earlier, they are in the last days, and they are moving through the last phase of God's dealing with men to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation at the end of verse 11 is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. That salvation is when our bodies will be resurrected from the dead. Our bodies will be glorified. It's called the adoption of our bodies. Look at Romans chapter 8. Just back a few pages to Romans chapter 8 where the apostle described the change that is going to take place in the natural creation. That the creature was made subject to vanity. The creature shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And I want verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, the first converts, this is a transitional time, the first fruits of the Spirit among Gentiles and the apostles, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. This this glorification that Romans 8 describes as well in a few verses later here, was to come and very important to them. The second coming of Jesus Christ should greatly affect us. First John chapter 3 says, in thinking upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, because we're going to face him. And so we want to put him on, as the 14th verse describes. But the time is this gospel dispensation. The, the darkness is being driven away. The light is shining in. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. It's a coming transition. It began with John. It was furthered by Jesus. Paul and the apostles took it further and it burst on the scene. And look at how far we are from the Middle East. We're way over here on the North American continent. And the light has shined to us. Romans 13, 11, that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. You know, for 4,000 years, Gentiles did one thing. They slept. Because they were in darkness. Because we all sleep at night. Is it all, is, there's a lot more verses, but that's, 
That's the meaning of Romans 13.11. But there's another day coming as well. And that's a, it's a day, it's a moment, it's the twinkling of an eye when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven. But it's, it's the last culminating event of this gospel day that we're in which is called today. Because behold, today is the day of salvation that was happening at Corinth, that was happening at Thessalonica, that was happening in Rome. Verse 12, the night is far spent. We don't want to be sleeping anymore. The night is far spent. You know, as it starts to dawn toward the day, you're supposed to wake up and get up and do something. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What day? The gospel day is fully blooming. The sun is fully shining. Let us therefore, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Because we were once Gentiles in the dark, but the light of the gospel has shined. It was the darkness of Gentiles worshiping totem poles. It was incredible. The blindness that they had to the Creator God of heaven. You know, Romans chapter 1 describes them worshiping four-footed beasts and creeping things. Ridiculous blindness. Because God had darkened their hearts. It says in Romans chapter 1, in that same passage of Scripture, the night is far spent. The night of Gentile ignorance is far spent as far as the gospel going out to Gentiles. The day is at hand. The gospel day. The day of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today of Hebrews 3.13. Today of 2 Corinthians 6.2. The sunrise of Isaiah 60. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Since this light has shined in, and since it has shined into us Gentiles in Rome, and since it has shined into our hearts, and we've been converted and believed it, let us cast off all those works of darkness that we once lived in, that the Gentiles still live in, that we are tempted to participate in, out of the habit of our unconverted lives, let's cast them off. And we need to be different from the world that is around us by us casting off the works of darkness that they still engage in. There's a whole segment of society that loves the night because of the sins of the night. The light of the gospel exposes those sins. No one that was a sinner wanted to come to the Lord Jesus Christ unless they were a repentant sinner because in His light, their evil deeds were exposed. Jesus Himself had to explain to men this way. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. We want to be in the light. We want to be around other believers. We want to be around the singing of the gospel. We want to be around the preaching of the gospel. We want to be around praying people because that's what we ought to be doing. That's what we ought to be like. We ought to be the children of the day and not of the night. Romans thirteen twelve. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Notice it's described as casting off. Does the Bible say anything about mortification? What should you do with the works of darkness? The things that we used to do. The things that Gentiles still do. The things that most Americans do. We're supposed to mortify them. What does that mean? Put them to death. We're supposed to crucify them. What does that mean? Put them to death. We're supposed to lay aside the, the, the sins, the, the weights, and the sin that doth so easily beset us. 
We are supposed to put off the old man and all the works of the flesh. Why? Because the gospel has shined to us and we're the children of light. Our God is light. Our God is the light of holiness and the light of the salvation that we have in Christ. We want to put off all those old things. Get rid of them. Cast them off. As the Bible would say to us repeatedly. Look at Ephesians 5. Let me, let me confirm you one more time on this. Maybe more, but let's go to Ephesians 5 and just see it. Lord, Ephesians 5 describes fornication and uncleanness and covetousness in verse 3. Ephesians 5. It describes filthiness, foolish talking and jesting in verse 4. It describes a whoremonger, an unclean person, and a covetous man who is an idolater in verse 5. It says in verse 6, don't let anybody deceive you. God's going to judge the world for these things. Verse 7, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Guess what? All Gentiles were partakers in the past with them. All Gentiles. Watch, verse 8, for ye were sometimes darkness. Do you think Cornelius liked Peter? How, how, how can I say it to you to appreciate the gospel coming to Gentiles? Did Lydia want Paul and his whole preaching company to come home and stay at her house and that he would take care, that she would take care of them? Why? Because they had heard the joyful sound and the joyful light of the gospel. For ye were sometimes darkness. These Ephesians, did these Ephesians go out there and, I know I'm repeating myself. I know what I'm repeating myself so far. There's a day coming when I won't. That's when you can reach your hook out and hook me out of this pulpit. But for this point, I do. Did the Ephesian elders go out on the seashore and hug on the neck of Paul? Did they weep that he was going away from them and that they would not be able to have his preaching anymore? For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Is that a decent cross-reference to our Romans 13? You were darkness, but you're no longer darkness. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Start living like it. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now what is that? That's the armor of light. Are those things called armor in other places in the New Testament? Yes. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Is that what Paul's teaching in Romans 13? Proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I'm just trying to tie the the whole New Testament teaches the same thing. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness in verse 11, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But what, but thank, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise and Christ shall give thee light. Now the light's already come. But if you've been sleeping and if you've been a slothful Christian and if you will arise and awake and get excited about the Lord, the Lord will give you greater light. The Lord will give you greater blessing. Remember John 14, 21 and 23? If a man love me, my Father will love him and we will come and make our abode with him. So there's this continual Paul exhorting the saints to higher and higher levels of Christianity because... The darkness of Gentile ignorance is past. The light is now shining. We should live as children of light. And if we've been slothful, awake. And if we've been dead, arise. And Christ shall give thee light. Romans 13. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. 
The armor of light is because we're in a warfare against the lusts of our flesh and against this world. Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day. What does that mean? It is not telling you that truthfulness is the most important part of a Christian's life. The honesty is live faithful to being a child of light. Live faithful to being in the day. Live honestly. Let us walk honestly as in the day. The honesty is not an exhortation here directly about truthfulness. The exhortation here is be consistent and be honest and have integrity as a child of light that you're living like a child of light. And then he tells you how, and it doesn't have to do with honesty or truthfulness. It has to do with what is the life of a Christian versus the life of the world. What is the life of someone in light versus the life of someone in darkness? These are the works that we're to cast off. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Rioting is intemperate, indulgent, excessive, and wanton actions in pleasure and entertainment. The prodigal son wasted his father's inheritance in riotous living. In 1 Peter chapter 4, they, they want, they, they call you strange because you don't run with them to the same excess of riot. Because rioting is living the carnal life, the fleshly life in excess. Too much entertainment, too much comedy, too much laughing, too much drinking, too much partying, too much entertainment, too much pleasure. Life is serious and sober if we're in the day. If you're in the night, sure, everything you do is tip the bottle and laugh again. Be an idiot. Tell another joke. Prove that you're retarded. Prove that you're dark. Prove that you're a totem pole worshiper. Because you're in the night. You're drunk and you're acting like the ignorance, the ignorant Gentiles that went before you. So we have rioting and drunkenness. You know, much more could be said about rioting, but we don't have time. You know, it's the modern craze for eating excessively, drinking excessively, partying, recreation and amusement. The sin is in the excess where restraint is lost and rules of sober and moderate conduct are compromised. It's lustful living for pleasure in a loose and wild way rather than a grave and sober approach to life based on self-denial and temperance in light of eternal glory and judgment. Then there's drunkenness, which should be understood literally because these other words around it are understood literally. Even though drunkenness at times is a metaphor, it's not one here. Drunkenness is a reduction of your awareness. When you get drunk, You get rid of your discipline. You get rid of your gravity, sobriety. It's the opposite of saints when you're drunk. Your self-discipline is gone. Your self-restraint is gone. And so there's a condemnation here because this is the way they used to live. In drunkenness. But we're of the day now. We don't do these things. God may allow and even commend wine and strong drink, and He does. But He hates drunkenness. It doesn't belong in a Christian's life at all. No Christian that's been called out of darkness and night into the light and day of the gospel of Jesus Christ should ever be a drunkard. You should hate the idea of being a drunkard. You should hate getting close to being drunk. Because if you're close to being drunk, you are destroying the sobriety and gravity and lightness, light, the child of light. You're, just, you're getting rid of the restraint and the temperance 
And the armor. Who's ready to fight a battle with armor that's half drunk? We want to be very careful with the consumption of wine and strong drink. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. What is chambering? You know, the world thinks that they've come on something new. It's called the sexual revolution. It took place in the 60s. They think they've come on something new. That they're, they're, they now know a whole lot more about sex. And in the last 15 years, it's been called partying. You know, if you're partying, you're engaging in fornication or adultery. That's what the word means. But in the Bible, it was chambering. And what does chambering mean? It means indulging in fornication in a chamber made for it. Like the back seat of a car. Wherever you want to make it. That's what chambering is. That's what chambering means. It's indulging yourself sexually, which the Romans did, and the Thessalonians did, and the Corinthians did. The the city of Corinth was like our Vegas or San Francisco or some other ungodly place that has little restraint left in it in our own nation. Chambering. Sexual indulgence, lewdness, luxury, effeminacy, especially in a chamber made for it. You know, it's comparable to modern unchaperoned dating where fornication takes place. And nightclubs and school parties and dance halls and spring break and making out in the back seat of a car and partying are modern comparable sins to this thing called chambering here in Romans 13.13. 13. That's why we're so conservative about our children, why we want to know where you are, why we want to know what you're doing why we want to know who your friends are of your sex and of the opposite sex, so that we can keep you a child of light in the day because the darkness is past and we want to live like the children of light. Wantonness. Wantonness is undisciplined. They live in a wanton lifestyle. Is undisciplined and rebellious living, especially in a lascivious and lewd and sexual matters. It's the way it's described in the Bible. It's excessive care, interest, and activity in sensual and sexual things of life. It's an undisciplined approach to life to satisfy any desire or lust that a person might have. Let us walk honestly as in the day. That honesty is being consistent with what it means to be a Christian. The light of the Lord Jesus Christ has burst upon the world and those light rays have driven back, beginning with John and Jesus, the darkness and ignorance and works of darkness of the Gentiles. And we shouldn't participate in them. We shouldn't watch them on television. We shouldn't joke about them. We shouldn't hang around those that participate in any of them. We should hate them. We should avoid them. We should despise them and keep ourselves at a distance from them so that we can be the children of light, sober, grave, rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ, not engaging in those works of darkness, but rather putting on the armor of light because we're in a war, because every child of God still has within him the lusts that love that kind of a lifestyle. So we've got to put on armor. And it's called the armor of light because God has changed things in this world in the last 2,000 years. He's changed us. We've been converted and we ought to live like it. Then there's two more. Not in strife and envying. I love these two being put here. You know, I... I may, I may be able to envision some, uh, puritanical types 
getting all worked up about how terrible rioting, drunkenness, chambering, and wantonness is. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes along and puts right in the same list strife and envying. If you have bitterness, a grudge, or fight, or envy, or have malice, or negative feelings or thoughts toward other people, you are right in the same list. You are living in the works of darkness. You are living in the night. You have not known the Lord Jesus Christ yet. Strife. I love it. How the Lord just mixes things together to remind us that our little classification of sins doesn't mean anything to Him. That strife and envying is is as bad as chambering and drunkenness. You know, I can just hear someone saying, well, I've never touched a drop. And I've never been with anyone else but my spouse. But they've got strife raging in their heart of bitterness and a grudge and hate and resentment. So they're just as guilty. We don't want any of these things in our lives. And not only does it mention strife, which is striving or contending in opposition with someone, antagonism, enmity or discord, contention or dispute, we have envying in addition to strife. Envy is a malignant or hostile feeling. It's ill will, it's malice, it's enmity toward another person for their perceived advantages. Which we've already dealt with once this morning already in verses 8 through 10, that we should be thankful for someone else being blessed with something that we don't have. Bitterness, jealousy, or grudges are often the, the signs of this sin. Backbiting, tail-bearing, slandering, or whispering can indicate an underlying spirit of envy that's in a person. We don't want any of that. And so the apostle here lists some of those works of darkness that these Roman saints were once part of, but the night is far past, the day is at hand, and they should live like children of the day, and they should put on the armor of light. So those are six sins that are listed there that are all around us. And many Christians today live these things. Many Christians today get drunk. Many Christians today fornicate. Many Christians today allow strife, ungodly fighting or grudges or bitterness with between them and another person. We want to love every person God sends us. Based on the verses 8 through 10. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I love another inspired disjunctive that tells me verse 14 is the opposite of verse 13 in listing those six things that we ought to cast off. There's some things we ought to put on. And the Holy Spirit summarizes it as putting on the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Putting on the Lord Jesus. You should thoroughly understand what it means. It is not putting Him on your back for a ride. I just want you to think about what it says. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we put Jesus on our back and give Him a ride? No, you know that's not the truth. I'm just going to lead you to more difficult ones. It is not putting a record on about Him. It's not going in your room and putting on a record, a tape, or playing from your iPod or any other device some song about Jesus. See, I'm going to put on a song about Jesus. No, that's not putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. No. It is not putting on a WWJD bracelet or bumper sticker. Jesus Christ hates WWJD bracelets and bumper stickers. He said so. You know, the people that use a WWJD bracelet or bumper sticker have never read the Bible. They want to, they, they say, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus wouldn't wear such a ridiculous, self-righteous 
bracelet. Because the Bible says so. Jesus called them phylacteries. Before it was called a WWJD bracelet, it was called a phylactery. And that is when they would bind up Scripture and tie it to their arms and foreheads to act like they were righteous. Jesus hated that stuff and told His disciples not to do anything like that. It is, it is not telling everyone you are a Christian. That is not putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not T-bowing. T-bowing is just like the Pharisees making a big deal in public and blasting trumpets that I'm about to pray. Everybody take notice that I'm a very righteous man. I'm one of the greatest Christians on earth. Everybody stand back while I kneel here in the middle of the football field because I just scored a touchdown. He makes me sick. Now God only knows His heart. All I know are His actions. I don't know His heart. And His actions are unacceptable for a Christian. That is not how Christians conduct themselves. So putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is not giving Him a ride. It's not putting on a record about Him. It's not putting on a WWJD bracelet. And it's not telling everyone you're a Christian. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is choosing His lifestyle, His conduct as the goal for your own and copying Him in every way possible. That is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is the source of all the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John chapter 1. That change that took place that Isaiah 60 described, and Isaiah 61 described, and 2 Corinthians 6, and Hebrews 3, and Romans 13, and 1 Thessalonians 5, is all from the source of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to live in the light, and if we're going to live in the day, and the Bible requires us to, here in this lesson of Romans 13, then we have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We cast off the works of darkness. That's the way the world lives. That's the way the devil wants us to live. That's the way we might have lived before. That's the way our flesh wants to live. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's taking His lifestyle and conduct as our own. The first step in putting on Jesus Christ is to be baptized in His name and to live the new life that baptism symbolizes. When we come up out of that water, it's to walk in newness of life. And the new life is one that is obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first thing we do. Because look at what Galatians Galatians chapter 3 puts it this way in uh, verse 27 about our baptisms. You know, how different are we going to be today? Are we going to be darkness? Are we going to be light? Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Do you know the other four words of this verse? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. We swear allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He sits at the right hand of God. He died on the cross for my sins. I will live for Him for the rest of my life. That's what we're saying when we're baptized. I will rise out of these waters to walk in newness of life. What's the newness? A life of light. What's the oldness? A life of darkness. I'm going to rise to walk in the day. I am burying the night. I am burying the works of darkness when we're baptized. In two places, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul said to put off the old man and to put on the new man. What is the new man? Which is created after the image of Him that created him. It's the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If, we're, if you're a born-again child of God, you have an image in you. You have a new man in you that is, looks just like the Lord Jesus Christ, created in righteousness and true holiness, and you put him on. That is the way you live every day. There's many ways in which you can put on Jesus Christ, so you want to learn as much about him as you possibly can. What was Jesus Christ like with his parents? Did he subject himself to them when he was young at home? Did he still care about his mother and take care of her when he was dying on the cross? He took care of his parents. Is submission to authority like a bad boss, a difficult father, an oppressive government? Is that being like the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, when it describes being submissive to a forward boss, it goes on to say that Jesus Christ suffered, and when he suffered, he didn't threaten, he didn't revile his accusers and his tormentors, but he committed himself to the God that could protect him and take care of him. If you look at the whole passage of 1 Peter chapter 2, as it explains how the example of Jesus Christ should help us on the job and help us with any difficult authority that's over us, that's putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jesus answer temptations that came at him with the Scriptures? When the devil tempted him, did he know the Bible and know to be able to say, it is written. I can't do that. It is written. I won't do that. It is written. You shouldn't be doing that. It is written. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's putting him on. Jesus was a man of prayer. Are you a man or a woman of prayer? Because that's putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a real Christian in the sight of God? Are you a child of the light and a child of the day? If you've been baptized, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? Do others see him in you? Do others see Jesus Christ in you? Do they see Jesus Christ by watching your life? If you're baptized as a Christian, your life should be totally wrapped up in him. Colossians chapter 3, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Jesus sought the will of his Father his entire life. Paul gloried in the cross of Christ and said, the world's crucified to me and I'm crucified to the world because the cross of Christ was so important to him. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 puts it this way. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Is that you putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Lord of your life? In Bible reading, in prayer, in friends, in movies, in music, and in all the other parts of your life? Is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the commanding captain of your salvation, the blessed and only potentate of every part of your life, then you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The chapter ends with these words. Make not provision for the flesh. We have a flesh that is still dark. The world is still dark and the devil is pure darkness. And the three of them together want to get you to commit sin. Make not provision for the flesh. What are you doing in your life that makes a provision for the dark part of you to rise up, the dark part of you to come out, the dark part of you to want to fulfill some of the lusts of your flesh? 
Romans 13 is teaching us that knowing the time that we live in the gospel day and knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon and it's nearer than when we believed. And it's, trust me, it's a whole lot nearer to us that have believed a lot later in the, on the timeline than the apostle Paul. Are you ready to meet him? Are you living as a child of light? Is he the Lord of your life? Or are you making provisions for your flesh? Make not provisions. The, the flesh is so powerful. The flesh is so powerful and its lust will overwhelm you if you allow any sinful inputs or opportunities in your life. It will take over your life. You can't make a decision day by day. Well, I'm going to live today in the flesh and tomorrow I'll live in the Spirit. And then the next day say, well, I'm going to live in the Spirit today and I'll live in the flesh tomorrow. You can't do that. You don't have the power to do that. The flesh is too strong for you. You've got to get away from it and feed yourself spiritual inputs that relate to the Lord Jesus Christ and get rid of those worldly inputs. We are at war against our sinful lusts. We cannot and dare not allow them any room to rise up or they'll take over our lives. You must get away from any friends, music, movies, place, job, or hobby that tempts you to sin. If anyone encourages you towards sin, if they live a sinful life, if they don't put on the Lord Jesus Christ, if they don't live like they're the children of the day or the light, get away from them. They're garbage. They're trash. They're destructive. Get away from them. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We want the good manners of a child of light. We hate the evil manners of this world. And we want to get rid of them. And so you've got to guard it. Every day you should be reading your Bible and feeding yourself with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the revelation of Scripture about Him. This is the light that has changed the world by providing Gentile believers on every nation. We want to pray and seek God's face that by His power and strength He will keep us from sin. We want to avoid ungodly friends and have our friends to be those that fear God and keep His commandments. The music that we let in through the two holes into the temple of the Holy Spirit should be Christ-glorifying music. The movies, the entertainment, whatever you look at should be serving that end and not pulling you down toward the darkness that we once lived in as Gentiles. You must starve your flesh by not feeding it. You must neuter it by denying it any opportunities. Do you know how strict Jesus was about this matter? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. I don't care how good of a friend it is. You don't know what a friend is if you're talking about being a friend with some worldly person. Has a worldly ideas or a worldly lifestyle. Cut off your hand. That's how Jesus Christ would describe it. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. My right hand is pretty useful to me. Cut off those things that are useful. My right eye is pretty precious to me. Pluck out that precious thing. Change a job. Stop watching. Get rid of a website. End a friendship. Whatever it takes. The little bit of pain, Jesus would say, to have a, you know, to, to be missing your hand is nothing. If you can gain your soul. Right. And to be a child of light. And a child of the day. Mm-hmm. David should have been at home. I mean, David should have been at battle instead of at home. David should have stayed in bed instead of getting up out of his bed and going for a walk one night. He wasn't where he should have been. He made opportunities for his flesh. And though he had so many advantages to have lived the righteousness of God, and though he knew so well, he sinned against his God. 
Solomon warned his son about staying away from the strange woman, which should lead men to change jobs, drive different routes, cancel magazines, turn off the television, get a block on their internet, whatever they need to do to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Television is one of the most devilish devices in our homes. I hope that any time that you even go near that thing to turn it on, you'll be thinking, is this going to be darkness or is this going to be light? Is this going to pull me away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this going to make a provision for my flesh to fulfill the lust thereof or not? Your lusts are powerful. You can't give them any opportunity. Do not wonder if you have sinful lusts. You've got them. You just have to deny them the opportunity to sin. Right. Romans thirteen eleven. Knowing the time. We're in the most wonderful time in the history of the world. The time of the gospel. But are you living like it? The Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. We should cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We should walk honestly, looking consistently and faithful, like a child of light and a child of the day. We should put on the Lord Jesus Christ and live like Him. You know, earlier today, we heard, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be like that. We want to be like this in casting off, rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, strife and envying. We want to put on the, the light, the armor of light, of righteousness, godliness, temperance, love, joy, and peace, and all those fruits of the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord to us from Romans 13, 11 through 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be thankful for the day of light that has dawned upon us, Gentiles, and upon us individually, and upon this church. And let's live in the light as he is in the light. Amen. Amen.